Alrighty, we are in part two of Sadiq Viralo. Why do bad things happen to good people? So I'm just going to start with a little bit of a recap what we did last time. And that was, I'm assuming everyone can see my screens, but the idea that we start off with is first and foremost is being able to define the question. That it's all well and good for people to say why do bad things happen to good people, but it's nothing to actually be able to appreciate the complexity of that question. So we said number one is a person would have to have the definition of uh, God down pat. One is they believe that there is a God, that he's all good, he's all knowing, and he's all powerful. And that is necessary because if you don't have those, then it's very simple why bad things happen, either because God is bad or because God couldn't stop it or because God didn't know it was happening. So those are the three um, reasons. Then we also came into the concept of how does one define what is good, what is bad, and the like. And uh, the third uh, logical let's say, objection that I put towards it was, uh, well, what's the alternative? Everyone says, you know, bad things shouldn't happen to good people. So what should happen to good people? And we say, if only good things happen to good people, so what would that do to their free choice? So if you miss that, by all means, go to the recording and you can see what we spoke about last week. So then we started going into some of the reasons. And then we, we, um, we focused on the first one, which was an answer given by Job, or given to Job by his friends. Now, the book of Job tells of a terrible um, suffering of the individual and that everyone blamed him for his suffering. And we said that there's a Torah prohibition of blaming someone um, that the reason the bad things are happening to them is that they must be sinners. So we're going to go on from this a little bit um, because it's, uh, albeit that it's wrong and it's a Torah prohibition to do so, um, philosophically speaking, it might not necessarily be completely wrong. So let's go into a Talmudic statement, which is the um, Gemara Brachot that says as follows. So the context of the question, of the discussion, is Moshe goes up to Mount Sinai, and the Gemara says that Moshe asked that Hashem would, would grant him three requests, and then the question of did Hashem grant those requests or not. The Gemara says, So Moshe asked to understand the ways of Hashem. As he says, So immediately after the golden calf, Moses goes up to, up to Mount Sinai and he davens Hashem, please to forgive B'nai Israel for the golden calf. But then Moshe says, Please show me your way. So what does it mean, show me your way? So he answers, Amar Lefanav. What happened? Moshe said to Hashem, Rebbe Shalom, Master of the Universe, Why on earth are the tzadikim that bad things are? Sorry, why are the tzadikim v'tovlo that good things are happening? V'yesh tzadik v'ralo, and the tzadikim righteous people that bad things happen to them. V'yesh rasha v'tovlo, v'yesh rasha v'ralo, and they're wicked people that are having a good time, and they're wicked people that are also seeming to have a rough time. So, why is this happening? Amalo. So, Hashem says back to Moshe, Moshe. And now, this is the reason that Gemara Tzadik v'tov lo. When he's a tzadik and things are good for him, he's having a good life. Tzadik kamu. That is a perfectly righteous individual without blemish. Tzadik v'ralo. If he's a tzadik and bad things are happening to him, Tzadik shenu gamu. He is not a perfect tzadik. He's, uh, he's got flaws, he's got failings, he's got iniquities. Rasha Vatovlo, so a wicked person that's having, you know, seemingly a good time on earth, he's been seemingly having a good life. Rasha Shaena Gamu, 
He's a wicked person that is not completely wicked. He's got some uh, redeeming qualities. But a wicked individual is, uh, who's uh, also suffering in this world is so wicked that uh, he's got absolutely nothing redeeming from him. Uh, to, to Clement. So, so the way that uh, that's understood is that there are different categories. Um, <coughs> there are different categories of righteous and wicked individuals. The wicked individual could have some redeeming characteristics, or uh, a righteous individual can have some uh, some flaws, some character flaws. Interesting. I read a. I, I'm I'm reading a book. I've had it for ages. I'm just started reading. It's called the Psychology of Superheroes, which is pretty much my bent. And uh, one of the articles is talking about the anti-hero. So what is the anti-hero? This is an individual who, you know, he, he might be the hero, but he, he's got a sort of nasty side to him. So he, the perfect he- superhero would be Superman, who's got like no Yetzirah whatsoever and just does good for good's sake and d- never hurts anybody in the process. Even the most vile criminal will never be killed. He will just be arrested and put behind bars. That is the Superman. But then you get these other, you know, heroes who have a very, they've got a certain level of, uh, of revenge associated with them. And same with the wicked people. They, they're bad, but you sort of like, if, if you saw the movie The Joker, it's just like, he's bad, but you sort of get him. There's a certain redeeming quality for him. So these are, this is what the Gomorrah is talking about. These people sort of, most of us, we're we good, but we're bad. We're bad that we're good. So why do bad people, if I'm a good person, why do bad things happen? It's because I'm not so good. You know, or if I'm a, I'm a rotten people and good things happen, it's because he's not so rotten. He must have some redeeming quality. So the way that the Marsha explains this, I don't think I brought this. No, I didn't bring this. But the way the, 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 they explain this Gomorrah, <coughs> and I think this is something we spoke about a few weeks ago in another context, was the idea that this world and the next world, that this world is a world that is merely preparation for the world to come. And anything that you is pleasurable in this world cannot be compared to the pleasure in the world to come. And everything that is painful in this world cannot compare to the pain that is in the world to come. So what happens with uh, a righteous individual that's got a few sins? So the Shem says, well, what I want to do is when this guy gets into the next world, I want him to have all the benefits of the world to come and not have to suffer at all. So what will I do is I'll make him suffer in this world. And the suffering in this world will atone him um, and allow him to um, refine him. So when he comes into the next world, it's only, only pleasure. And the, and the opposite for the wicked individual. The wicked individual who's got uh, some, some meritorious claims that he can, he deserves his reward. He's done mitzvot, he's done good deeds, he deserves his reward. So Hashem says, I'll give him his reward in this world. So when he gets to the next world, there's nothing left to accrue to him. And that is why this, um, <coughs> this whole idea that Tzadik Vitovlo, that if he's, he'll get some of, the mer- some of the reward in this world and some in the world to come. But we want to, for the Tzadik, we want to maximize their reward in the world to come so they will suffer in this world. Or, and for the wicked, we want them to maximize their pleasure in this world so that they have nothing in the world to come. That is the first answer in the Gomorrah. Now, when you look at that, in, which is very similar to what we just, in the opposite of what we said, is that Job's friends were considered terrible for saying that sin is the thing that caused the punishment. Over here, the Gomorrah in Brachot seems to be saying, yeah, if you're a righteous person, but you've got sin, so you will be punished in this world. Or you will be rewarded in this world. So that idea that sin and punishment are somehow related seems to be quite consistent. That if a person is suffering, 
So he will be punished, and that's what the pun and, and it's a punishment. But again, it's not a punishment as an end. It's not even a punishment in a, in a means to try get the individual to repair their behavior. It's in order to that they should remove or refine themselves so in the world to come they don't have to suffer anymore. Now, this is a little bit clearer as it comes in another Gomorrah, which I'll, it actually comes two pages before that Gomorrah, but I'll quote it over here. Amar Rava v'itemi Rabbi Chistas. Rava Rabbi Chistas said, Imro e adam shiusurim baim alav. So if a person sees suffering coming upon him, he should examine his actions. So what does that mean? If something bad is happening to me, it must be that Hashem is trying to communicate with me. So what does it mean? So the Gemara continues, what does it mean? So it quotes a pasuk that says, we will search out our ways and, and, and dig and we will turn to Hashem. So you searched all your deeds and you couldn't find any Avera. So it must mean that you were nullifying Talmud Torah. You were wasting time. You did not exploit the opportunity of time. And he quotes another verse and it says, and not that, so it must be Yusum Sha'ava, which we'll come back to in a sec. But the idea over here is that when suffering comes on an individual, he should say, I am, have done something that has brought this upon me. Which is, which is consistent with what we said earlier, that uh, at Sadiq Viral, or that when bad things happen to good people, it is because they are righteous people, but not completely righteous. So their sins are bringing them the suffering, which is completely opposite what we said before. They don't say that it's from the sins. Because that's why Job's friends were punished, because they, was, they said the reason you are suffering is because you are, um, you are a sinner. So just to understand, and I, I think it's, uh, this is the way that to, to resolve the seeming contradiction, is there's a big difference between how I analyze my suffering and how I analyze the suffering of others. So when it comes to my suffering, something happens to me. Now suffering should know, the Gemara comes and says, suffering need not to be something uh, tragic. It could be something quite uh, superficial. The Gemara gives an example that you reach your hand into your pocket to bring out one coin, and you pick up another coin, uh, you you lose your wallet, you know all these things. These are if, if Hashem was all good, so everything should go my way all the time. If things aren't going all my way, there must be a reason behind it, and I should be analyzing my own life to say why is Hashem, what is the message Hashem is trying to send me, how in what way can I improve my life? That's vis-a-vis -vis me. Vis-a-vis -vis other people, the complete opposite. If, to, if you go to somebody, if someone's suffering and you go to them, you know. And again, it doesn't have to be bad suffering. It's just like this person's business isn't going well. It says, well, you know what you should do? You should daven. You should give more tzedakah. You should be doing all these things. Uh, maybe you've got some avarice you need to do tshuva for. It says that you now you're sounding like Job's friends. You're not allowed to do that. Other people suffering, your role is to love, support, and help in any way possible. Not to question and not to think, ha, this must be. But vis-a-vis -vis your own suffering, so that's something that we should be asking, why is this happening to me? Now, so that's, that's reason number two. So reason number one is we're not allowed to look at other people's sins and claim that they're sins. But vis-a-vis -vis ourselves, we should. However, the Gomorrah continues. So this is a Gomorrah that... Um, this is just to rem remind this is the Gemara says that a Russia, a wicked person is not completely wicked. That's why his life is going well. Or a righteous person is not completely righteous. That's why he's suffering. But the Gemara, excuse me, the Gemara continues. Rabbi Meir has a different opinion on why, you know, things happen. It says, uh, 
says, so Moshe asked three questions to Hashem, and one of the questions he didn't answer. Hashem didn't answer. Remember, he asked three questions. We only dealt with the one. Well, why do bad things happen to good people? So Rabbi Meir says, Hashem didn't answer that. I will have uh, I will show um, not mercy but I will show grace on those that I will show grace even if it doesn't make sense and I have mercy on those that are mercy even if it doesn't make sense now that is something that you know why bad things happen to good people because that's what Hashem says. Hashem decides that this will happen good. There's no, there's no method to understanding why this is happening. It's happening because Hashem's determined that will happen. Now that is incomplete. I don't know anyone who would find that um, emotionally satisfying. To be able to say, why do bad things happen? Hashem said bad things should happen. And that's why they happen. But if we go look, and I'll quote another Gomorrah. Okay. I think it's at the bottom here. Yeah. So, this is a, a verse that we say in the Haftorah for fast days. It says, So this, we're familiar, we also say at the funerals, because my plans are not your plans, nor your ways, my ways, declares the Lord. Now, just before we go into this, I, I must warn you that this, uh, not warn, but uh, prepare you is that this answer that I'm about to share, I do not believe is one that is easily digestible. But I believe it is one that a, uh, an intellectually mature individual can accept, meaning understand, even if they don't necessarily like it, but it, it, but it, it, but it can resonate. So that, what's the Gemara? So the Gemara tells a following story. Amar Rebbe Yehuda, Amar Rav. So it's another Gemara talking about where Moshe went up Moshe saw Hashem was tying knots on the, on the crowns on the letters. So a number of the letters in the in the in the Torah have like these little sparks that come off them. They're called crowns, Ktari. So Hashem, why are you doing that? So he says, So one day there's going to be this big Talmud Chacham named Akiva bin Yosef, otherwise known as Rabbi Akiva. And he's going to be able to learn, derive out tons and tons of different laws from these little kotzes, from these little crowns. So that's why I'm putting them on. So Moshe says to Hashem, I want to see this guy. Can you show me? Show me this Akiva. So I'll put this in modern day terms. He says, all right, jump into my time machine and I'll take you into the future to see Rabbi Akiva. So he's now sitting in the classroom. Moshe Rabbeinu is sitting at the back of Rabbi Akiva's classroom. And Rabbi and Rabbi Akiva uh, Moshe didn't understand a word of the shir. So Moshe got a bit faint. You know, he started feeling dejected. The fact that you know he's sitting in the shir. This is Moshe Rabbeinu, and he doesn't understand a word. So they got to one particular point, and the Rabbi Akiva's student said, "Rabbi Menayin Lacha." 
They said, Rebbe, Rebbe Akiva, where do you know this law from? He says, this is a tradition handed down from Moses in Mount Sinai. So, so Moshe was, ah, so it does all come from me. So I imagine that uh, so Isaac Newton, if he were to come to the world today and see planes flying and, and feel that, you know, oh, I, I discovered gravity. And people would not be that impressed. And they say, like, you know, how do these planes fly? Well, it all comes down to Newton. So that's the same sort of case. Now, Gemara continues. So he says, you've got this, Hashem, you've got this unbelievable guy, Kiva, why are you giving me the Torah? So Hashem says to me, now quiet, uh, I know what I'm doing, you stay out of this. So Kiva says, and this is the key. You've shown me his great Torah, I want to see the reward he's going to get. Please show me Rabbi Akiva's reward. So once again, he puts Rabbi Akiva in a time machine and off they go. So for those who know the story of Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva was tortured to death. So he says that he saw, what did Moshe see? He saw that they were weighing his flesh in the market. They were literally, they once had murdered Rabbi Akiva and tortured him to death. They were now literally selling his, his flesh in the market. So, so Moshe says to Hashem, This is the Torah, this is the great man, and this is his reward. So what does Hashem say? Shtok kach ala b'machshava lefanai. Quiet, that's what I thought of doing. Now that, that is an incredibly challenging, uh, we call it a Gomorrah, but it's really clearly a Medrash. And, and this idea is, you know, this is an individual who could achieve so much and had so much unbelievable contributions to the world and this is what's going to happen to him. And Hashem says, Kacha. Now, therefore, I'd like to explain as follows. The term, Lo machshavotaychem derachai, is usually understood that you don't understand the ways of Hashem um, and so you should be quiet. But if you could be given an insight to understand the ways of Hashem, you would know why Hashem is doing what He's doing. Meaning that the reason that we struggle with Sadiq Viral or why do bad things happen to good people is because Hashem has a reason and we don't know the reason. But if we knew the reason, it would make the pain more, more tolerable. Like if, if we could rationalize that Hashem, why did this happen? And Hashem said, well, you know, the, these videos that are oh, in hindsight, everything makes sense. So the Yemotah Mashiach, we're going to look back and say, ah, now it all made sense. So that's not what this Gemara is saying. And this Gemara is saying, my thinking is not your thinking and my ways are not your ways. Not that you don't understand why I do what I do. But, and this is the clincher, you cannot understand why I do what I do. The whole starting purpose, the whole starting point is that the ways of Hashem are ones that we do not understand. And that is incorrect. The ways of Hashem are ways that we cannot understand. Is that the logic of God is not our logic. 
As much as we try to create a rational system behind reward and punishment or why God does what he does, why do good things happen to bad people and vice versa, um, we started with an assumption that we couldn't understand the answer. We just don't know what it is. If God comes to us to say, and we say, God, you know, you could ask God one question. What would it be? So you say, I'm going to go up to Shema. I'm going to say, God, why did the Holocaust happen? Okay, that's your question. So, and you know what the problem is? is that when Hashem tells us the answer, it's not that we, it, we won't, it won't make sense to us. Because the logic of Hashem is not our logic. We have a very simple way of understanding the world that is based on the limits of our understanding. And that we think and we live in, and, and this is, I think, from a philosophical point of view, where science and philosophy can't agree. Is science believes everything is knowable. We just don't know it. Whereas Torah believes, or the philosophy says, maybe not everything's knowable. The idea, the idea that sometimes things are beyond, you know, our, our ability to grasp. So, for example, the concept of in, infinity. We can understand conceptually what infinity is, but you can't picture it. You can't imagine it. You can't grasp it in, in the real way. Because our brains don't know what infinity is. We only, the concept of that something exists forever and is beyond time. It's not something that we really can grasp. And even if there are things that maybe I can't grasp, but others can grasp, it's because it's knowable information. But there are things out there that are not knowable. And therefore, the Hashem's ways are not our ways. It's that we don't know why bad things happen. Not because we, we, there's no ration. It's because our brains can't comprehend that. Now, I said when I introduced this, that this it, it, it takes a certain mind to be able to understand that. You don't necessarily like it. And truth be told, it's very unhelpful. Because if bad things happen, you're going to say, well, you know, God's, you know, God's ways are God's ways. Well, it's very unhelpful because how can I grow and how can I learn from this and how can I move on from this? So it's unhelpful in that sense. But from a pure philosophical point of view, the Gomorrah consistently brings multiple cases where Hashem says, listen, just mind your own business. You don't know what's going on. And not only you don't know what's going on, you can't know what's going on. Okay, so let's just uh, summarize where we are up to now. So we've talked about um, that it is from um, suffering. The suffering is coming as a response to um, imperfection, from uh, whether it be through sin or some other imperfection, and it is there to refine you. Another is that we, it, it's not knowable. Why do bad things happen? I don't know. And it can't be known. And so to... So on a pure philosophical level, to try justify and rationalize why this bad thing is happening is doing a disservice because it's bringing Hashem down into our world and saying, we can understand the divine logic. All we need to do is think about it a bit more. And this answer would say, no, you cannot understand the divine, the divine logic. Okay. I don't think that will bring, definitely do not say that to anybody. I mean, as a form of consolation. But in essence... It's the answer that we all really give, Tachlis. When people say, why did this thing happen? The answer is, we don't know. We don't know. Okay. All right. So, the third reason that we'll quote tonight is something that um, is, we quote to this Gomorrah, and that is, Hashem loves the Tzaddik. So, this is something which, um, again, is only to be used for yourself. So, we said that if you see suffering come on an individual, he should ch check out his deeds and if he looks and he can't find him, so it must be that he's been wasting time and he has not utilized the time that Hashem has given him. He says, what happens? So the Gemara says, 
The guy, has, you know, the individual cannot spend more time in personal development, growing, learning. He can't do any more. What more can this individual do? So it says, You should know that these are punishments. How does it translate it? Afflictions of love. These are afflictions of love. What on earth is an affliction of love? Yomora does talk about a couple of times where, you know, Rebbe says, you know, I don't want Hashem's love, you know. So he, can, he can keep it. So what does it mean over here that, that um, it's a fiction of love? So there's a, an interesting medrash. It comes on Parshat uh, Noach. And um, I'm going to go into the English here. I won't read through the original. It just makes stuff. And it gives three different examples of what suffering or afflictions of love mean. So it says for us, number one. So it says, Hashem tests the tzaddik, the righteous in him. But he hold, hates the soul of the Russia. The craftsman does not test defective vessels because they cannot withstand a single blow without breaking. Which ones does he check? The strong vessels. If you were bang on it many times, they wouldn't break. Similarly, God does not test the wicked, but only the righteous. Okay, so reason number one. Why does Hashem make, punish, why does Hashem afflict the, 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 the tzaddik, the righteous? Because, and the analogy is, is like a vessel. And a vessel, a good vessel, so let's take an example of Tupperware. The way that you show how good Tupperware is, is you get an elephant to stand on it, you chuck it against the wall, and you show it doesn't break and it doesn't leak. You know why? Because it's so strong. The dreck you buy from the $2 store, you can't do anything. You turn it over and it, it falls apart. Because what it does, is show, it shows you the greatness of the individual. And highlighting, by highlighting this individual, what will it do? It will show you their resilience. It will bring out their resilience. It will, it will show you something within them that might not have been evident beforehand. So the first analogy is, you, what does the afflictions of love do? It shows you strengths that people did not realize were there beforehand. But the more they get, you know, the, and the only reason they're getting smashed is because they can take it. So this is almost the idea that Hashem doesn't test people who can't, who can't handle it. That would be the line of thinking. That would be the line of thinking. It's because the vessel that is strong gets hit to show how strong it is. So that's analogy number one. Analogy number two. When a flax worker knows that his flax is good, he knows that the more he beats it, the more it improves and changes. And when he knows the flax is bad, he knows that it would not be able to withstand even a single blow without breaking. Similarly, Hashem does not test the wicked, but only the righteous. Okay? So here, it's... it's Similar but different. Why does Hashem afflict the, the, the righteous? Because the more He afflicts them, the better they become. The challenges are not there to handicap them, but it is there not to refine them, like we said earlier, but to improve them. That through the challenges, through their suffering, they will become better. They will become um, holier. They will become more wise. They will become more sensitive. That every single affliction is there to allow the individual to grow from it and to become a better pe person as a result of the affliction. So that's the second one, like flax. The third one, the third analogy is when a person has two bulls, one of which is strong and the other is weak, on which one does he place the yoke? Isn't it on the strong one? Similarly, Hashem tests the tzadikim, meaning that if you've got... A burden that needs to be carried. You've got people in the world. That, you've got things that need to be done. Now this, this does have a certain 
Christian sounding thing to it. It is not the Christians got it from the Torah, but the idea that someone can suffer on behalf of others, that um, certain level of um, divine retribution will be carried by the few who have the shoulders enough to bear the brunt, as the bull who can carry a heavier weight because he's a stronger bull. The weaker ones we do not challenge. So what the Medrash here is giving you three reasons. Why would Hashem afflict someone who is so righteous? So it says, one, is they like a vessel. Now what, is a, what will that vessel do? It will impress on others. That this is, that the more they suffer, they will somehow be able to allow others to grow from them. That people will learn from their experiences. That will be so great as a result. So I'm, I'm thinking of a, you know, Christopher Reeve. So Christopher Reeve suffering... You know that he became a quadriplegic, and but with the inspiration that he did for the rest of the world, that what how people grew and people learned from him, so that would be a ve- you know vessel type analogy. The other is the individual who becomes greater because of the suffering. The individuals who they were able to, you know, Nelson Mandela became Nelson Mandela because he was in prison for twenty seven years. Twenty seven years, you know, it, he 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 was one kind of person went in, but the person who came out that could reconstruct a country wasn't despite the prison was because of the prison he could learn sensitivity he could learn tolerance he could learn patience the last one's a little bit harder because who knows what the what the punishment is but let's say it's from a Tanakhic point of view that's the way that Rashi brings out that why did Miriam die it says Miriam died to atone for the sins of the nation so it's 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 uh, it doesn't sit very well with us because it doesn't fit into our normal understanding of, of Jewish philosophy but that idea exists there. So, but, and, it, and it's crucial here. These three um, analogies of why people suffer are Yusurim Sha'ahava, meaning that this is an individual who's, they've gone through the list. Like, I've never done any Averas. I've never wasted my time. And for the life of me, I can't understand why Hashem gave me a flat tire today. So then it's one of these three. I'm not sure how many people alive could uh, get this far to be able to think that the, the, their suffering, uh, whatever it is, is Yusurim Sha'ahava. As we mentioned last week, most the, most, the suffering, most of the times the questions come up are not because people believe that the people that are suffering are good and the thing that's happening to them is bad, but much rather, even though the person who it's happening to might not be perfectly righteous, surely what they did could never warrant this level of retribution. And, and so that, that's much more where the question has been. All right. Um, let me just get where we are. We've done that. Okay. So that, just now to summarize our positions. Okay, I'm going to exit this. Stuff. Okay. What do we have when we look at this whole you know, difficult situation with Sadiq Viralo is, I suppose, to ask two separate questions. Number one is, like, why, why is it important to know the answer? So to quote a Nietzsche phrase is that if you understand the why, you can endure anyhow. That if you can understand the meaning behind yourself, and the person who did this mostly, who was based on Nietzschean philosophy, was um, Viktor Frankl, who developed a form of therapy called logotherapy, which was to find meaning in your suffering. Because if suffering can be found, you can find meaning for it, then it will always have some, what we call toilet, some positive outcome. So if my, I had a flat tire and I thought to me, you know what, I should give more tzedakah. Is there really, is that why Hashem made it? Maybe yes, maybe no. But according to logotherapy, 
uh, if I can give more tzedakah now, something positive has come out of the suffering. So therefore it has a value. So when it comes to the philosophical side of the question, and this was something we also mentioned last week and is important to highlight, when we're dealing with this on a purely cerebral level, so then the idea that pain and suffering in this world is either beyond our comprehension and, we, and, and it is a futile task to try and understand the whys because the why is, it's not that we cannot know, but it is not knowable. Sorry, it's not that we do not know, but that we cannot know. So that, that would be the one approach. The other approach is, well, that's a useless approach philosophically because if, if, if everything bad in the world just happens, you say, well, that's what Hashem wanted, it makes us quite impotent to make any changes in our life. So therefore, the other approaches become much more palatable when it comes to looking at, well, if suffering comes on me, I should look at my deeds and see how can I, how can I improve, what can I do, what, what, you know, how, what improvements can I make in my life. But that should always be a response to one's own life, never a response to, one, to other people's lives. I'd like to suggest one final approach, and I, and I sort of had it in the notes there, but I'll just say it outside. There's a Gemara that comes and says, There is no reward um, for mitzvahs in this world. Now, if you open up the Shema, you say, If you listen to my mitzvahs, I'll give you rain, I'll give you prosperity, and if you don't listen to the mitzvahs, I'm going to banish you from the land and everything's going to be terrible. So you read something like that, and it sounds like if you keep mitzvot, the world will be great. If you don't keep mitzvot, the world will be terrible. Now, that, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago, that is really talking about on a macro level. When, when the, the, the nation as a whole is prosperous or, or, or is suffering austerity. But vis-a-vis the individual, the concept that there's reward and punishment in the world for mitzvahs and avarahs, there's is, is, is an opinion in the Gemara that that is not true. There is no such thing as a reward for mitzvah in this world. So if you do a great mitzvah, so, you know, I don't know, whatever the mitzvah, you say, I'm going to do mitzvahs and Hashem will reward me. So, uh, you know, so when people come and say, Rabbi, I don't understand why this source is happening. I put on tefillin and I keep kosher and I keep Shabbat. This is, it's not a quid pro quo. Um, you can't say that if you do mitzvahs in Hashem, you expect Hashem to do good things for you. But even more so is that that reward is for Lama Ba, it's not for Lama Zed. There's no reward in this world. And similarly, there's no punishment in this world. So again, this is a, another approach. We've been talking about multiple different approaches. No one should think that all these approaches are consistent. They disagree with each other. But the idea being that there's no reward and punishment in this world. All there is, is Hashem's guiding hand towards trying to help us on our journey towards perfecting our character. And so, uh, seemingly when bad things happen to us, it is Hashem trying to guide us in a particular direction. And when good things happen to us, it is Hashem trying to encourage us in a particular direction. And, and so that's how we view things. It's not when we do mitzvot, things will be wonderful because Hashem's rewarding us. But rather, when, Hashem, when we do mitzvot, hopefully Hashem will encourage us to do more mitzvot by making life a little bit more palatable, making life a little bit simpler to be able to achieve, you know, to do things that perhaps we wouldn't have done. I say that, and, and that in many ways resonates with me. However, it's not a science. And the reason I say it's not a science is because there's a, there's a story that we're going to read in a, probably three, four weeks' time called uh, Bil'am. 
Elam was a was a non Jewish prophet who wanted to curse uh, wanted to curse Bnei Israel. And the story goes that he go he wants to curse and Hashem comes to him and says, No, you shouldn't do it and he says, Alright, I won't and he says, oh, please can I? And Hashem says, I really don't want you to and he nags and the third time Hashem says, No, go go for it. Go with my bracha almost. And Rashi over there says what happened is that if a person is so determined to do something, Hashem will encourage them. So the encouragement from Hashem could be, uh, you know, be careful what you wish for. Then if you keep making poor free choice decisions time and time again, Hashem will allow you to go down and will encourage and support you in those poor choice decisions. But, but on the opposite, the ability to, if you are making good decisions, Hashem will similarly uh, support you in that role. The problem with all of this is so, alright, so what's the answer? The answer is, who knows? Who knows? Why do bad things happen? So we've gone through all up probably four or five different uh, approaches within Jewish philosophy. Um, I think the key to it is we never know the answers. Um, there are many um, outspoken leaders in the Jewish world amongst others who want to claim that they know the reason why bad things happen. Um, I think it's uh, it's 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 short-sighted and uh, and and very hurtful to to make those assumptions. Even if the Torah says in certain places, um, you know, these sort of things will happen because of this crime. So, uh, you know, pestilence will come on a community because they haven't given their tithes properly. So does that mean if we see pestilence coming through? I think in India they've got terrible, pe- you know, locusts at the moment. So does that mean that uh, they haven't been tithing? You're going to find a million other Gomorrahs that say the complete opposite. The goal has to be to be able to see what's happening in the world and not say, why did God do this? But rather, why might Hashem have done this and what can I learn from it? And when it happens to us, that's true, but also when it happens to others. Why do we see people we care about suffering? It affects us as well. And how can we learn and grow from those you know, those processes? It means that at least from a, from a psychological point of view, the suffering won't be alright everybody any questions comments reactions sorry for the change of time this week it was just a once off but if there are any questions happy to take them going